Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. What I want to share this morning is as basic as it gets. This is Christianity 101. But sometimes we need to go back to the basics. I know that many times I need to go back to the basics. So this is a very basic sermon. I want to talk about what it means to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or to have faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What struck me about this verse this week as I've been reading it, and actually it's been on my, on my mind for the last several weeks, is what the word Lord means. What does the word Lord mean? And what does it ta entail in, in our life? And this also feels like a prophetic word, a confrontational word. And sometimes I believe we need to be confronted. And if it seems this morning like both barrels are loaded, I want you to know, remind yourself if you need to throughout this sermon, that the gun is pointed at me before it's pointed at anybody else. This is something that the Lord has confronted me with uh, in, in a serious way. And anyone who knows me uh, well knows that the last thing that would ever occur to me is, is to ever be presumptuous enough to think that I stand up here behind a blameless pulpit and pontificate. Uh, it's just too obvious that I have no grounds for any kind of credibility for pontificating. What has credibility is the Word of God. And I need to hear, and sometimes we need to hear, some basic stuff about the Word of God that maybe will confront us. What does it mean to call Jesus Christ Lord? Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Spirit would be here. God, how the enemy tries to take truth and distort it and tries to take grace and make it sound like shame, and tries to take healing words and make them sound wounding, Lord. Your Lordship is so graceful and so beautiful and so healing and so restoring. But the enemy would cause us either to rebel against that or to misunderstand it, Lord. Let your spirit of truth be present here. Lord, give me a courage to speak it straight in my own face and in the face of everybody. And not worry, Lord God, about who it's going to please and not please, Lord. Let your word go forth and let it not return until it's done all that you have intended it to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me share with you, uh, just start by sharing with you a little testimony about what God's been doing in my life, okay? The last three weeks. It's been a very enjoyable three weeks. Um, it is the first time since, we, since this church began that I really felt I could step away and forget about it. And, and you need to do that. And just sort of have a retreat and not have this on my mind. And it felt very, really good. But the Lord was in my face. And I mean that in this, in this way. He was just confronting me about a lot of things. One of the major things he confronted me on, the biggest thing I think he confronted me on, but it's not the only thing he's been He's been all over me. Um, he told me he wants the first hour of every day of my life to be given to him. I was reading his Psalms, and the Lord's actually told me this before, but you know how you intentionally sometimes don't hear? That's, looking back on it, I intentionally uh, retranslated the Lord. And 
he's, he's, he's given me this for, for a while, but he, this time it stuck and it, it broke me. But I was reading the Psalms where the psalmist says, if you seek him in the morning, you shall find him throughout the day. In fact, a number of times he talks about seeking the Lord in the morning. And that's something that I very rarely have done in any kind of prolonged intentional way. And it's very difficult for me to do it now. I'm the kind of person, I'm at my peak when I first wake up. Those obnoxious types, you know. A lot of people hate people like this because you wake up and you're kind of like, you know, mm, on it. And a lot of people, a lot of people they, they kind of gradually crescendo throughout the day and they hit a peak in the evening. Others of us start at the peak and kind of just, you know, downfall all throughout the day. Well, that's how I tend to be. And then I take a nap and I'm up again and then I kind of go down. Shelly's not quite like that. Uh, Shelly starts at a little lower key. But you know, I will tell you that when I get out of bed, I, I'm just so task-orientated. I, I, I want to utilize my, my mind and my energy that's at its peak to accomplish the most that I can first thing in the morning. I think best, I write best, I produce the most, I read the best, I retain the most first thing in the morning. And so I'm usually, when I wake up, I'm running, and I want to get out that door real fast to start doing the 10,018 jobs that I know i got to get done. And I woof down a cup of, co cup of coffee. I have a little bit of breakfast while I'm looking over the paper. And then I'm out the door. And if anything slows me down, like losing my keys or if someone wants to have a conversation with me, I'm really ornery. I'm really ornery. It's like there's only one thing i got to do, and i got to get out that door. There's a lot of things to do, a lot of work to be done, and I'm losing energy by the moment. And I'm not pleasant. And so for the Lord... The Lord, in so many words, confronted me and said, Greg, I want your prime time. I want your prime time. I've, you've given me five minutes here on the way to work in the morning and another 15 in the afternoon and maybe 10 at night if you're still conscious. You know, that was good back then. Now I want to up the ante a little bit. I want to up the notch a little bit. I want to move to a new level of relationship. I want the first hour. Before breakfast, before coffee, before newspaper, before jogging, before any reading, before any study, I want your attention at your best. And every bone in my carnal body says, no! But he wins. And the motivation for him winning, and I want you to hear this, it wasn't like God got real big and scary to me and said, if this doesn't happen, you're crushed. You ought to, you better do, you got to do, or I'm going to step on you. It wasn't anything like that. You're going to go to hell or whatever. But rather what the Lord did, and this is usually how growth is produced in our life. The Lord created in me a, a, a dissatisfaction, a, a sort of restlessness with the plateau that I had reached in my life. What kind of bothered me was that I thought we just went through this a little bit ago. But now he's saying it's time to, to reevaluate the situation again. There's a kind of a dissatisfaction. And, 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 a, and a deepened hunger. The Lord also, in, in a wide variety of ways, showed himself in all of his beauty to, to me to make himself more attractive. He showed the beauty of his self-sacrifice for me, and he does this all the time, but he showed me how he gave his all, he poured out his all, becoming a human being, going to the cross, taking upon himself all of my sins that I could live eternally with him. And now, out of that same love, he says, Greg, I want you to pour yourself out towards me. And the very beauty of the Lord that we serve is a magnet in my life that pulls me deeper. And so even though it hurts, even though it's difficult, it's sometimes frustrating, it's worth it. And I hunger for that. 
That's what discipline is. That's the discipline the Bible talks about the Lord doing towards us. If Hebrews 12, 6, he chastises or he disciplines those he loves. Why? Because he knows he's got something greater in store for them. And the blessing I found from this has been incredible. That our quality, because it's my prime time and because it's, it's, at the, it's, it's the first thing in my day and, and it, 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 it makes me, it forces me to put on the burner all the other things in my life that I might want to get to first, there's a, a depth and a profundity and an intensity of relationship that I find with the Lord in the quiet of the morning that I, I, I couldn't find any other time. When I pray in the afternoon, my mind's already polluted with the things of the world. Here, it's, it's prime time for me. And it's affecting a transformation and a deepening conviction and a lot of other things that actually kind of scare me. But they're beautiful in their own way. The blessing. And there's a dimension of joy there and a sense of God's presence that I carry with me throughout the day that wasn't there before. It's worth it. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And in all of this, I believe I'm learning a little bit more. A little bit more. And we should always be learning by bits and increments what it means to say that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. What it means to be, to have him as the Lord of our life. You see, the word Lord, the word Lord means, well, it's a relational term. It's like the word husband that only has meaning in relationship to a wife. Or the word parent that only has meaning in relationship to children. Or the word supervisor that only has meaning in relationship to, to uh, uh, those you supervise. It's a relational term. The word Lord means something in relationship to something else. And what is that something else that the word Lord derives its meaning from? It is your subjectivity to him. He is Lord. That word has meaning to the degree that we are surrendered to Him, to the degree that we are yielded to Him, to the degree that we're sold out. That's what the word Lord means. It doesn't have meaning except insofar as our life, in fact, is submitted to His Lordship. And I'm beginning to see more clearly than I have ever seen before just how radically... The Lordship of Jesus Christ confronts the carnal inclinations of my heart. The self-centered, self-absorbed, narcissistic self-lordship of Greg Boyd. He's in my face. Because he loves me, he's in my face. He confronts it in the most radical way, and he confronts in the most radical way some foundational, foundational aspects of our entire culture. We have a culture that for all intents and purposes, is rooted on the idea that you are the captain of your own ship and you're the engineer of your own engine. You're the lord of your own life. You're your own boss. No one can tell you. No thing can tell you. Certainly no ancient book can tell you what you ought to do, what your lifestyle ought to be. If it feels good to you, you ought to do it. And if it seems right in your own brain, if it makes a little bit of sense, then you ought to do it. You have a right to it. You have to, your, your self-actualization and your self-fulfillment and your self-happiness, that's the primary thing, the primary goal. It's what you live for. That takes precedence over everything else. And to confess Jesus Christ is my Lord has got to fly in the face of that. It confronts it as radically as anything could possibly confront it. It attacks our own inclination to Lord our own lives. It even attacks, I believe, much of the church today. Because to a large degree, this cultural assumption of self-lordship has crept into the church. And it has dictated a lot of what goes in the, under the guise of Christianity today in a lot of different forms. 
One of the primary ways, I believe, is this. That there's a widespread trend in churches to think that the main thing is to try to market, try to package your Christianity in a way that appeals to as many people as possible and offending as few people as possible. And so if worship is a little offensive to people, then you water down worship and turn it into entertainment because that's what the crowds are going to like. And, and, and with your sermons, they've got to be smooth, they've got to be polished, and they've got to be nice. You never want to offend anything. Don't be in anyone's face. Don't say anything that's going to confront somebody. You make it as nice as possible. You sugarcoat it as, po as much as possible. And it is good and well, and I think a godly thing, to be conscious of the traditional language of the church, religious language that, gets, that, that is an obstacle to contemporary believer, people becoming believers, that's called seeker sensitivity. But when we start compromising the content of the gospel and when we start compromising what, the, what worship is to be and start watering down the passion of the gospel and start watering down and compromising what we stand for, something is wrong because that doesn't exemplify the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you look at how Jesus, Jesus handled his ministry, you get a very different picture than that. Jesus, he put all the cards out on the table about what his lordship meant. And we just got to hear it. We may not like it. Let's be okay with that. Let's just hear it because it's true. It's in the word of God. And it's in my face. Let's let, let it be in all of our faces. I'm just trying to spread a little misery around here, folks. Okay, so that, just listen to this. Here's how Jesus operated. Someone came to him and they, they said, we want to follow you. In fact, there was a crowd of people who said, we want to follow you. And so Jesus says this, not exactly packaging his, not selling himself in the most, uh, you know, delicate way. He says, you know what, okay, that, that's great. I'm glad you want to follow me. I'm into making disciples. But you've got to know this. <clears throat> you don't build a tower unless you first count the cost to see if you have enough money. And a king doesn't go into, the, into battle unless he first looks at his army and counts the cost and sees whether, whether or not he has enough soldiers to win this battle. So also you. If you're going to follow me, you've got to know this. Let's be upfront about this. Let's put all the cards on the table. No sleight of hand here. Are you willing to forsake all and follow me? Uh. And many of them turned back and said, no, we're not willing to do that. Another came to him and said, Lord, I want to follow you. And the Lord said, first thing out of his mouth was, well, okay, that, that's good. But the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man doesn't have a place to even to lay his head. Come on and follow what he's saying there in so many words is, if you understand what you're getting into, you've got to understand that I'm going to be all over you here. And it might mean forsaking all earthly comfort. It might mean forsaking all earthly values. It might mean forsaking all earthly convenience. It might mean forsaking all earthly security. But are you willing to do it? That's what lordship entails. That's what lordship entails. If you understand what the word Lord really means. Someone right afterwards came up to him and said, Lord, I want to follow you. But I got a funeral to attend to. It's my father, and I got to bury my father and Jesus. And this is the most outrageous one. This, you start messing with Jesus, and you just got to know he is radical. He is radical to the extreme. He says, Well, look, I'm leaving town. It's implied in the text. I'm leaving town. Let the dead bury the dead and follow me. Talk about lacking seeker sensitivity. <laughs> but what he's saying there is this. You, you got to know this. Before you get into it, I want you to know what you're getting into. I got to come before social propriety. I got to come before family. I got to come before ordinary cultural export expectations. I've got to come before all the things you might think would be just common sense decency. I come before them. 
In fact, he went on in Matthew chapter 10 and said this, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to know this, they're going to, they're, they're going to persecute the master, they'll persecute the, the disciples. A disciple, a servant, is not above the master. Are you willing to accept persecution? In fact, your own family may make enemies of you. They may become your foe. But if you don't love father, if you don't love me over father, mother, and children, then you really can't be called my disciple. Are you willing to do that? And then he says, are you willing to take up your cross and suffer for my sake? The cross is something that everybody in the ancient world knew of. People were crucified on street corners to make a public expression. And it, it denoted everything that was painful, excruciating, and shameful. And Jesus says, what a sell, what a great sales job. Hey, you know what? You follow me, you can expect a cross. You're going to take up a cross. People were just in droves lining up saying, hey, I'll give money for that. Hey, yeah, yeah that sounds great. But see, he lays all the cards out on the table. Lordship, it's a radical thing. We sometimes water it down. We sometimes soft pedal it. We sometimes beat around the bush on it. But lordship means ruler. It means sovereign. It means up there. It means Lord of all. And to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, the term has meaning to the degree, to the extent that Christ is over our own personal aspirations, that Christ is over our own hopes and our own dreams and our own longings, our own comfort, our own pleasures, that Christ comes before family, Christ comes before own personal aspirations, Christ comes before finances, He comes before all, and He's the center of all. That's what Lordship ultimately entails. It means that His will is over our will. And his goals is over my goals. And his schemes are over my schemes. And his plans come before my plans. And his plans come before my own personal convenience. How much I like to sleep in the morning, how I like to spend my mornings, his word has to come first. That's part of what lordship entails. That's part of what discipleship entails. The very fact that Jesus called his followers disciples. The word means disciplined one. One who follows, who is devoted to a, a discipliner and is disciplined by them. And so calling him Lord entails, if the word has meaning, a willingness to examine our lives when we don't want to do that and ask, is this area and is this area brought under your lordship? And being willing to be lovingly disciplined by the Lord when it's not under his lordship. He's radical. The Ephesian church, the Ephesian church was noted. Paul said, I have heard about your faith in the Lordship to Jesus Christ. I've heard about that. That's, what's, that's what you're noted for. It's what he called in Romans 15, <coughs> excuse me, the obedience of faith. I've heard about that. What a wonderful thing for an individual life or a church to be noted for that, to have that reputation, for that to stand out in people's minds. These people are really submitted to the Lord. They really understand what Lordship is, what obedience to the Lord is. A lot of times churches can be noted for, for a lot of different things. You can be noted for how fast you grew. You can be noted for uh, you know, the crowds that you draw. You can be noted because your music program is so great. You can be noted because your, your, your organization, your bureaucracy is so smoothly run, just like a business, and it's really great. You can be noted for how good a children's program you have and whatnot. And those are all good things. Those are all wonderful things. But the, 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 the central criteria, the main criteria of success is are you noted for being a sheep to the shepherd, for being a disciple of the discipliner, for being a subject to the Lord? Do you know that the Lord... Well, let me say this. You can have, and you, it's good to have, the fastest-growing church in America, 
the biggest church in America, that's great. And, 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 and it's good to have great music programs and great worship that moves people. And it's great to have, have uh, sermons that, that attract people and, and, and hit people. And it's great to have wonderful children's programs. And it's great to have wonderful outreach programs. And it's great to have a real smooth-running church. But it doesn't mount to a hill of beans unless, unless you're making disciples. The Lord, unless you are producing in people's lives... A recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord with all that that means. Jesus, before he ascended, the last thing he said in the Great Commission, he said, go forth and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciplined ones of all nations. That's what the word means. Make subjects of all nations. Because what he's saying is this. I want to set up my kingdom. I want to stake out territory in people's lives. All of it. I want to win back from the enemy territory that rightfully belongs to me that I have created, that I have died for. And I want to set up my kingdom in people's lives. Not just in word, but in reality. I want to set up the lordship of my joy and the lordship of my peace and the lordship of my power and the lordship of my holiness in individual lives and in marriages and in families and in churches. It belongs to me. I want to stake my claim on it. And that's what it means making a disciple. One who looks like Jesus. And the ultimate criteria of success is not how good the music program is or the preaching is or whatever. It's our disciples being made, our lives being changed, our lives being transformed. That's what he came to do. That's what lordship entails. Now, this, for many of us, feels too much in your face. And when Jesus speaks in the gospel, it sounds too much in our face. It doesn't sound graceful. It doesn't sound like good news. And I understand that very, very well. A lot of us here have come out of backgrounds, like myself, where discipleship took on a kind of peculiar meaning. And the lordship of Christ was preached without any emphasis on the saving work of Christ. And, and, and walking in a particular way that wasn't necessarily biblical. Usually the, the kind of standards and rules that people spin out aren't very biblical. They're just kind of man-made because someone wanted to come up with them. But those are made conditions for acceptance, conditions for love, conditions for being saved. And you never learn in, in, circ in circumstances like that what it is to... To, to submit to the Lord because he's so beautiful. You don't see the beauty of the Lord when you're under a tyranny of, of legalistic rules. You don't see the beauty of his saving work. You're not moved because of, of an inherent hunger in your life. You don't genuinely on the inside desire the Lord. The rules that are put upon you don't come from, the, from within. They come from without because somebody with a big voice is shouting them at you. And, and you're motivated not out of love and a hunger for Jesus, but you're motivated out of fear and out of a need to try to get life from making yourself holy enough. And that's got nothing to do with the genuine lordship of Jesus Christ. But coming out of a situation like that, it's easy to get gun-shy. And I know what that's like, because I'm like that. It's easy to kind of get like... Any talk of submission all of a sudden sends all these buzzers off. Oh, someone's going to hit me right now, you know? Somebody, you know, oh, here comes the rules. You know, okay, the good news is over. Now comes the bad news. Biblically speaking, and please hear this, nothing, if we understand it correctly, there is nothing more beautiful, nothing more lovely, nothing more joyful, nothing more graceful than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with oppressive, tyrannical, manipulative, controlling power that some man of God has on you. The Lord, out of his passionate, fiery unconditional love for us, came down to earth, became a man, took upon himself our sin in order to save us. 
from our sin. And it is that same love. It's not the end of that love. It is the continuation of that love that, want, that leads him to want to take us from where we are and bring us to where we can be. It's not a different love. It's the same love. Or think of it this way. It is God's grace, God's incredible, unconditional, incomprehensible love and grace that causes him to move towards us wherever we are at and work with us wherever we are at. Wherever you are this morning, however radically outside of the lordship you're, 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 uh, of Christ your life is, however screwed up, tangled up, impossible to put, to put together your life is right now, the Lord loves you, wants to come towards you, wants to redeem you, and will take you where you're at, no questions asked. But it's that same fiery love that leads him to say, let's not leave you where you're at. He works with us in the midst of our mess, and he also wants to take us out of our mess. And that's what discipleship is all about. Think of it this way. If I got a friend who's dying of cancer, my love for him is shown in the fact that I love him when he's got the cancer. But you know what? If I'm a master surgeon, I'm not going to leave him with that cancer. I'm going to come towards him, and I'm going to try to take that cancer out of him. And you know what? If for some reason he's so stupid he doesn't want to get rid of the cancer, I'll knock him over the head and put him out and take a knife out and try to take the cancer out myself if I know what I'm doing. Because love doesn't leave a person in their self-destructive cancer. It does whatever you got to do to root, to, to, to root the cancer out of a person. Jesus loved Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, just as she was, but he also cast seven demons out of her. If I got a friend that's an alcoholic, I'm going to love that person. My love for them is shown in the fact that I love them even while they're screwing their life up with their alcoholism. But you know what? Love doesn't say, hey, it's okay, you know, I'll stand up for you, I'll stick up for you, whatever. Love says, I'm going to be in your face. Day and night, I'm going to be in your face. I'm going to get other people to be in your face. I'm going to make your life so miserable, it's going to be impossible to drink in order to free you from that alcoholism. Love sometimes is tough. And to the person who's the alcoholic, it feels mean, it may, they may reject you, they don't like it. But you know what's best for them. And calling Jesus Christ Lord means that we, that we admit that he knows what is best for us. What's best for us, like getting cancer out of you or, 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 or kicking a drinking habit, it hurts. There's no easy way to do it. But you never begin to move into the goods of the Christian life until you do it, until you break, until you submit. And the Lord loves us too much to become a mere footnote in our life. He doesn't want to be mere Savior. He wants to be Lord. He wants to be Transformer. He wants to take our lives where we're at and make something really beautiful out of them. We need to understand that our sin, our fallenness, our laziness, our lack of discipline, our self-lordship, our self-absorption, our narcissistic ways, our me-first attitudes, they are cancer in our life. They are what make us miserable. They're the ones, they keep us from really enjoying the riches of God's inheritance that we talked about all summer. They clog up our relationship with God but only God knows just how much they clog up that stuff. And God loves us too much to just let us sit in that manure when he knows that we could be enjoying the infinite beauty and joy and peace of his pasture so he comes after us. And all those harsh things that Jesus said in the Gospels, it's just Jesus' way of getting on the table, of getting it out loud, saying up front, you know what, you give me an inch and I'm going to take a mile because I love you. I'm coming after you. You got to know this ahead of time. Before you get into this, you got to know, you got to know that I want to be Lord, and that's a radical thing. I want all of you. 
and it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. I'm going to do surgery. But you give me an inch and I'm going to take a mile because I'm not going to settle for letting somebody that I love sit in the quagmire of their junk in their life when I can do something about it. So I'm coming after you. It's, it's the great physician, the discipler, who comes after us to do radical surgery on our life. He wants to do radical surgery on our attitudes. He wants to do radical surgery on our lifestyles. He wants to do radical surgery on, on, on your bitterness and on your unforgiveness and on your jealousy and on your gluttony and on your greed. He wants to do radical surgery on the way you treat your spouse and the way you treat your kids and the way you are at the office. He wants to do radical surgery on your habits and he wants to do radical surgery on your sex life. He wants every part of you because he knows what you could be enjoying in life if these things were, were rightly prioritized. He wants your time and he wants your priorities and he's going to be in your face until he gets it because he's mean and nasty. Sometimes it feels like that in the flesh, but it's not that way at all. It's because he has got this intense, burning love that cares too much to let us go on where we're at. So he's in our face. And he warns us ahead of time he's going to be in our face. you got to know this about me. I'm going to be all over you. I'm going to be all over you. What's required of us is simply to break. Know this ahead of time. The Lord is out to smash everything in your life that comes between you and him. Not because he's self-centered, but because he loves you so much. He's out to smash it. Our job is to submit and to break. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I can't do that. You know the area of your life that is just uncontrollable outside of, it's just compartmentalized out there by itself. Everything else in your life is okay, but this area is not under his lordship. You know what? You can't do it. You can't do it. So God goes one more step in, in, in his grace, and he says, you know what? If you are simply intentional about, intentional about letting me in, I'll do it. Led by power. You know, the Bible always talks about holiness in terms of yielding. Yield to the Spirit of God. Break. Let him in. Give him your all. You can't do it on your own, but what you can do is saying, Lord, the intention of my heart is to say, you have it. I belong to you. Whatever you want to go, I want to go. I can't let it go on my own, but help me to let it go. And you will fail. Peter failed after he confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. He denied him three times. The Lord was in his face again, though. And they started where they left off. This morning, if you're not a believer, I implore you to come forward here and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before you leave. There's been no easy sell here. I haven't said, tried to soft pedal everything. You come forward here, it's going to cost you your life. But if you lose your life, the Bible says you'll find it. If the Holy Spirit's working in your life, if you have a heart to receive it, there's something right this moment that is saying yes to that. Yes to that. If your heart's not open, you're mad, you're offended, you think I'm the biggest jerk in the world, and that's the way it ought to be. But if the Holy Spirit's working, I, I implore you to come forward and let the Lord take your life. And for believers here, I just say this, where are you? Where are you? you get, only you can answer that. This isn't any kind of a shame thing. It's an encouraging thing. This is good news. Let the Lord just look at your life naked and let him honestly point out areas where he wants to work on. Let it be a radical thing. Radical lordship implies radical obedience. And maybe you also want to come forward here this morning and spend a little time just breaking before the Lord. If the Holy Spirit's moving in your life this morning, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. Let's close with singing a prayer. And I really want to sing it as a prayer. Jesus, Jesus, Lord to me, Master, Master, Savior, Prince of Peace. And as we do that, in our hearts, let's intention that to be a reality. And this morning, 
you want to accept the Lord as your Savior or you just want to break before the Lord, I encourage you to come forward. And if there's something in your mind that says, oh, I'm afraid of what people might think, that's a crock, first of all. I mean, it's not a crock that you think that. It's, it's just a crock that somehow we got the idea that there's something wrong with being imperfect. I detest that idea. But you know what? Maybe that's another area of your life that has to break. Who gives a rip what anyone thinks anyways? But no one's going to think anything. Come forward and break before the Lord. Let's stand and sing this as a prayer to the Lord.